0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 140. This week we talk with Bill Berry about insane Broadway tech, invisible IoT, and the IoT Gateway SDK. Amazon hires a Microsoft of people, and a monitor that automatically turns off when it detects Wi-Fi.
1: This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Espose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DOCX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more.
0: This week we have Bill Berry. He's an awesome guy that started at Microsoft a few months ago and has a history in stage automation and motion control. And he also brews and shares his own beer. How's it going, Bill? Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for uh, having me on Jason and Carl. Yep. Yeah, we're happy to have you on here. So Carl, what do we have for the feedback of the week?
1: Uh, The feedback this week, I actually picked off a Stitcher. I think this is one of the few times we've actually done that. Uh, It's from PRJ Seal. It says, this is my current favorite developer podcast. This is a great podcast. They have some amazing guests, and they ask the questions you want them to. Definitely worth listening to and subscribing to. Well, thank you, PRJ Seal. And if you want to get mentioned on the show like him, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment
0: on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's jump into the news. What do we got here? Commit print. This is a cool tool if you, uh, if you have a lot of activity on GitHub. What does this do, Carl. So what it does
1: is, like you said, it takes your activity on GitHub, you give it your GitHub username, and that's, they've got a few different visualizations, and they kind of like, you have your, your user graph in, in GitHub that just kind of shows like how often you've been committing, and it makes it darker if you've been committing more often or lighter if not. And they've got like squares and dots and letters and stuff that'll do a year's worth, stuff that'll do your whole history, and they've got different color schemes, and it's really quick, and it'll just give you a way to visualize what's your activity on GitHub has been. And, and you th- you might think, you know, like I haven't had a whole lot. This isn't going to look too cool. I, I, I'd check it out anyways, because, uh, you know, sometimes you want like areas that have like maybe a few months where you didn't do so much.
0: I'm just using Bill's. Makes it git- look pretty cool. I'm just using his GitHub account.
2: <laughs> oh, no.
1: Oh, well, I, actually, I, I compared our to uh, Jason and they actually give kind of similar uh, looking uh, images at the end. Okay. So that's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. To yeah show you how, how little I actually work.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you work in open source on GitHub, the, yeah, this might be a little bit of a problem oh, if God. you have some light. This hide. is almost worse than like tracking somebody by hours. It's like, Bill. I see you've only done check-ins one day a week, but we're paying you for five days a week. Mm. Can you explain the difference there? What are you doing four days a week? you just taking vacation? What's going on, man?
2: Uh, TPS reports. Nothing (laughs) TPS TPS reports. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, Okay. Um, Amazon soars to more than 341,000 employees, adding more than 110,000 people in a single year. So I have two comments on this. One is... This just makes it all the more frustrating working at this company, I'm sure, whenever somebody says, hey, do you know? (laughs) Um, I get that one at Microsoft all the time. No, no, I don't know them. Um, And then the other one is... The fact that they added 110,000 people, which is approximately the number of employees at Microsoft in total, <laughs> that is a pretty insane number. Now, obviously that isn't developers or anything. I, they don't have a breakdown. Yeah, do they? And, and most of,
1: no, but they did mention that a good majority of those people that have been
0: hired, especially
1: recently have been working in their warehouses.
0: Okay. Yeah. But it says, uh, let's see here. 40,000 people in Washington state, more than 25,000 of them in Seattle. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, what do we got next year? Oh, LG admits premium display fails near Wi-Fi. Ouch. And and to top it all off, uh, Apple has recently
1: stopped making displays and have been encouraging people to buy this one. So if you're an Apple user, you might be running into this uh, a little bit more often than the rest of us. So if you have your uh, Wi-Fi access point too close to your monitor, it'll cause it to flicker and switch off.
0: I think it says, how far was it? It said like one meter or two meters or something. So yeah, if, if your access point is close to your monitor, your monitor won't work. Whoops. It says the device is not properly shielded for Wi-Fi radiation. Isn't this like an FCC violation? Aren't they supposed to be able to accept <laughs> uh, interference as well?
2: Yeah. one. I mean, <laughs> my, my router at home is literally within like a foot of my TV. So that would, that would be not good. <laughs> I re- Yeah, it says you know, this, is a, this is a
1: premium monitor too. So it's a 5K monitor and it has the price as 900 British pounds.
0: Yeah. So I don't know exactly what that is, but it's north of a thousand dollars easily. Right. Right. I remember uh, back in the day before, uh, like LCD TVs, when I put my speakers next to the TV and it would distort the picture. (laughs) That's like, (laughs) this is like the new version of that. Okay. What else we got here? Portal. Oh my gosh. This looks amazing. Portal in augmented reality with HoloLens. Yes, please.
1: Yeah, so (laughs) there's this video where they they basically have, instead of the little reticle that you normally have for uh, HoloLens on where you click and point, uh, they have the, the gun from Portal, so you can shoot the blue and the orange portals. And they just have a cube that reacts not only to the portals, where it goes in one and out the other, but it'll bounce downstairs. And, like, on the fly, you can shoot a portal and you know, it reacts accordingly. Wow. Just so cool. What Just he's portal doing in real
0: life. Yeah. I was watching the video and <clears throat> what was interesting is in my brain, it sort of like accepted. Oh, this is, you're just watching a portal game. And then they were, then the cube started like rolling down the stairs. And at that point I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> that, that was, it wasn't even the portals that like blew my mind. It was the fact that the thing was like hitting the stairs and like going down the stairs. Like it was interacting with the real world. That's what blew my mind. Um,
1: Well, and it's shooting the portal on a wall, and it knows it's on a wall. So when it comes out, it knows to change the gravity. Yeah. And when it falls on the floor, in the ceiling, you know, it it does have those adjustments on there. I can't
2: imagine that it's too far, far away that you're going to start being able to see video through those portals into somebody else's viewport, you know? Oh, that would be awesome. That would be so cool.
0: Are you talking about like um – where you and I would appear to be like in the same area or?
2: Yeah. So like I yeah. shoot a portal through the screen in front of me and actually see you on the other side
0: rather than <laughs> oh my you know, God. a oh. whiteboard. So it's like you're, you're like I'm in my office talking to somebody. And it's like, let's see what Bill says. <laughs> 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 hey, Bill. <laughs> and then I like show up right there on the wall. <laughs> and then you come through the other portal known as a door. <laughs> what? Yeah. The old school legacy legacy portals is what I call them. <laughs> oh, this is so cool though. Like this, the, you know, everyone like after a while of like not doing any Hololens type stuff, I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of cool, but I don't know if that's ever going to take off. And then you see something like this again and you're like, oh my God, I have to have it.
2: <laughs> it's absolutely the future.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Very cool. Cause the stuff, it's not going to get bigger. It's going to get smaller. It's going to get more powerful. Um. This is just inev inevitability. It doesn't doesn't matter if you know if I don't know somebody's going to be working on it, perfecting it. Um. I think it's pretty exciting that that Microsoft is really on the forefront here. Okay. Why are all Windows drivers dated June twenty first two thousand and six? Don't you ever update drivers? (laughs) Yeah, so
1: these these are specifically the Windows default drivers for a particular device. Yep. And the reason why they do this is because you could have multiple drivers installed for a particular video card, webcam, mouse, whatever. And when Windows supplies drivers like this, one of the things it looks at is which driver is newer. And this way, if a uh, like NVIDIA releases a new video driver, they're going to put the current date on mm-hmm. it. And that one will take priority over the Windows one every time. So this is a way to ensure
0: that you have the most. And Carl's gone because of his terrible bandwidth. <laughs> anyway, well, while he's coming back, I'm going to make a comment on this too, uh, because I was reading through the, the comments on the page. Are you still there, Bill? I am. Oh, okay. Your video froze for a second. Um, so what's kind of interesting is people were commenting. They were asking, why don't you just go off of the version? Oh, and now Carl has video down too. Why don't you just. Do I have audio? Yes, you do.
2: You do. All so right.
0: they were asking, why don't you just go off of a version number? But the reality is you have like multiple publishers here of Microsoft and NVIDIA and NVIDIA might have lower version numbers than than Microsoft. So the, the date is really the safe way of doing it unless Microsoft were to publish it as version zero. But they, they published other, you know, they were just if you read through the comments like this is a really complicated problem. And this just happened to be the simplest and most elegant solution given the uh, uh, given the problem at hand.
2: So I have to ask, is there anything special about June 21st, 2006? Like, you know, is that some celebrity's birthday? Or are we going to be surprised with a little like Carl
0: Sagan, you know, <clears throat> reference or something cool? I think that was the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm guessing it was the, the you know, I don't know. I don't know if it was like the date the of a particular, it was probably the date of a particular build of Windows. Yeah.
1: Is that when Windows Seven came out, or when they like oh. deadlocked it? Because I know when when that uh, when that version came out, they did change something in the driver model.
0: So I'm I'm wondering if it might have something to do with I'm that. Gonna search. I'm going to search for that day. <clears throat> okay, here's here's some really good insight. Um, It was a Wednesday. Ah.
2: <laughs> so it was uh, a patch Wednesday. Wait, no, 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 that's Tuesday. So that's out.
0: Um, what happened on June 21st? This day in history. Let's see here. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix came out three years before – um. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Clearly, no. i sure, so whoever yeah. is
1: in charge of the drivers. Maybe it was their kid's birthday or something. I
0: don't <laughs> yeah, because actually, my theory actually is complete garbage. Because my theory was like, oh well, that was like the release date or something of that of that. Yeah, maybe it was like Windows Seven, like an like an RTM or something. Yeah. But um, that doesn't make any sense because that implies that the build process was like changing the date every build, <laughs> and then after they release, they like turn that off which I guess is still possible, but that seems highly unlikely. So I have debunked my own theory and I've replaced it with none. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Um, Azure IP advantage. I didn't see this one car. What is this? So, Oh, uh, I heard about this. What uh, you? You've heard about this. It just went under a different name. So, uh,
1: if you are writing an application against Azure, you're using PaaS or you're doing something in with Azure VMs or networking mm-hmm. or pretty much anything in Azure, and somebody sues you with one of these cloud-based uh, patent infringements uh, cases, Microsoft will lend you for the cert, uh, purpose of defending yourself, uh, their patent portfolio to protect yourself against these uh, cloud-based patent attacks. It's just like, boom. Boom. That's pretty cool because um, obviously that, that way has quite you can feel com- yeah, and you can feel confident building on the cloud, knowing that Microsoft will defend you yeah. for uh, being a customer of them.
0: Wow, this is cool. So we'll will have a link to this because I'm sure um, any any kind of legal stories like this, we, really, we probably should you know just refer people to the page. But um, this is pretty cool. I mean, this is this is a benefit that I don't think um, I think that it just takes advantage of some of those existing assets. So it's that's pretty exciting. Um, and our last news story, Amazon takes on Skype for business with chime, but it won't come cheap. I don't think the, I don't know how important the price matters. I think the fact I I've never, when did this one? So this was announced on February 14th. The first time I heard of it was when you mentioned it, Carl. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, there are a few f- different tiers. Um, so there's a, there is a free tier, but that's a pretty much like allow one or two people to have a conversation. So the three of us could not have this call on chime on the free tier. Um, There's a one for screen sharing and remote desktop. That's two and a half dollars a month per user. Uh, But you're still limited to that two users on a video and will cost up to $15 a month per user to get a limit of a hundred people on a call. So $15 a month per user, just for chat. Whereas I think for Skype for business, you get on office 365, like for $10 a user, you get not just Skype for Business but a bunch of other things
0: like Word and storage and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely not a licensing so. expert, but yeah, there's there's like <clears throat> I don't know, eight different options for um office configurations and and I think pretty much all of them include Skype for Business or at least some functionality in there. Um one thing that's one from a technical perspective, you know, cuz we're a technical podcast, one thing I think that's kind of interesting is that this is um I would almost compare this more This is going to sound wrong at first, but I I would almost compare this more to Webex, uh, just from the perspective of they built it to be like fully hosted initially. See, Skype has a little bit different background. Skype was a, should say Skype for Business now. Um, Its background was as an on-prem solution, and now you can get it in in Azure. So there's there's it's it basically includes a whole bunch of different Lego pieces, so you can do all these really complex topology so it's a lot easier to replace a, a phone system in a company if you have a company with 10 people then you could probably look at both these services and sort of weigh them i think the the microsoft offering um is going to uh is gonna be a lot more appealing because of everything else that's included but i just think it's kind of neat now these uh telephony services that are being built on top of uh the cloud uh you know and they're basically cloud first and that's just how they operate i think that's super exciting especially for smaller businesses any other comments, or we move on? Let's talk to Bill. So Bill's just a cool guy. Um, I've worked with him on a couple different projects, and every time I, I learn something new about him and so, learn something new about the projects he's working on. So it's been a while. I've I've wanted to have him uh, on here just to just to talk about some random stuff. <laughs> we'll we'll try to keep it a little bit focused. But I guess first of all, um, you have a really interesting background. It's not. Not what I normally expect. I, I work with a lot of people where you know it's just like oh yeah I've been writing software for th- this long and you know doing this this and this and then I talk to you and you're like oh yeah I, I was you know you were building uh, like robots and all this other stuff and you show me these cool pictures like this is this is awesome. Can you describe what you've done in the past?
2: Yeah, so uh, if you walk far enough back to high school, I actually kind of got my start you know career trajectory, let's call it uh, actually building homes. So, I stood out in front of Home Depot for a long time doing pickup work. um, And that got me really interested in construction. And then uh, I needed some easy way to surf through uh, undergrad. So, I decided to go into theater, right? And that's really where things in the, you know, at least IoT and development space kicked up for me. Um, You know, I was in, I did a graduate school program at the University of North Carolina. Um, I actually have an MFA in what's known as stage automation and motion control. What's Uh, an MFA? uh masters of fine arts
0: okay because it's also a multi-factor authentication so i would have to clear that up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh you've got a three-year program that basically blends
2: you know at least in this this particular aspect it blends sort of structural engineering electrical engineering mechanical engineering and a bit of control theory over three years and it's uh half classroom half practical mm-hmm. um pretty intensive program but uh what you really had was the the folks that were in my group, um, you know, we had a carpenter, we had a machinist. Um, and we just kind of had a hole for electrical and control folks. So I decided, you know, I think it's time to start getting deep on, uh, you know, writing software and programming. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where things kicked off for me. So I am completely self-taught. Um, I went from sort of ladder logic and structured text programming, which is what you would use for programmable logic controllers and microcontrollers, um, and jumped right up uh, to Java. Uh, so I, I unfortunately missed the C C plus plus bandwagon. So embedded development is not my forte, or uh, game development for that mm-hmm. matter. So
0: yeah, actually, now kind of listening to your to your background, I almost I kind of wonder if like that's a better way to do it. You know, <laughs> well, just think about it. Think about you know uh, most people that get into software. Um, well, I would say a lot of them. I, one pattern I've seen and this i this was probably part of how I got into it, but probably less than most people is like you you end up playing games on a computer, you end up managing a computer, you get sort of interested in that, and it's like I want to create some of these things, and you know most of us don't end up game developers, but that that sort of drives you to to be able to like create these things. but I actually like not now that i'm I'm thinking about like how you got started, I think that's such a cool thing where you you start with the physical world and then you layer in some basic logic. And then eventually you get more and more sophisticated because ultimately, um, in many scenarios, you are trying to control the real world, real world, especially with these IoT scenarios. So I almost yep. think that that like kind of programmed your brain in a better order than the rest of us. The rest of us, like you know, wrote all this software, and then we had to figure out how to interface with the real world. And it's like, well, how do I get to the real world? <laughs> I don't I don't know how what that path is to the real world.
2: Yeah, so. it's um, you know. The curriculum was really interesting because you know, like you were saying, we did start out in the physical world. So, you know, my first year of grad school was you know welding class, even though I'd been a welder for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was machining and fabrication um, and structural work. And again, like you said, you know, the education just layered on. You know, electrical control systems, control theory, building you know control systems from the ground up, plugging together ones that were existing, um, and then finally, you know, for my thesis project, I built a uh, robotic wirelessly controlled bed for a production of West Side Story. (laughs) <laughs> and you might ask yourself, what in the world is a wireless, robotically, you know, bed kind of thing for West Side Story doing? And I have no clue. It was just a dope <laughs> little project to fill a need for the show. But it, uh, you know, fundamentally, we were using like sort of off-the-shelf wireless gear. Um, it was all open-loop control, so we were just reading a processor that was scraping position data off the machine and then closing the loop, basically on our PC side and transmitting more you know, drive information back to the machine. So um nothing was on board. It was all done wirelessly with sort of off-the-shelf consumer gear. Um and that's really kind of where I got, you know, I got the bug for writing software. Um believe it or not was with, you know, Java, what was it, one four
0: I guess at the time. Um so yeah, that's that's where things kicked off for me. You missed a huge opportunity there cuz you could have had a viral video, you know, laying in bed driving the bed like down the street <laughs> and then just filming reactions and
2: <laughs> that that would have been a good opportunity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So cuz
0: it's just it's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But uh, you know, after that, I, I uh, you know, I moved to Broadway, and that's a totally different ballgame. Um, yeah. You know, the stuff we were doing in in grad school was cool, you know, and was big, and we were doing neat productions. But when you get to Broadway scale, it's a totally different story. Um, you know, there you're talking you know serious machinery. Um, I worked on a production of uh, Dirty Dancing, where we actually flew an automated truss system off of 30 chain motors that weighed upwards of about 70,000 pounds fully loaded. Um, and I mean, that's just like, you know, it's 30 feet by 60 feet by 12 feet tall. Um, and it's got, you know, like 30 or 40 axes of automation inside of it, um, all with, you know, PLCs that are nearby. And, you know, the big thing for us back then was, you know, we, the cloud wasn't an option. Right. The ability to take these, you know, motors and sensors and, you know, data that's on board to these machinery or this machinery and drive that up to a place where, you know, a field tech can look at it from a remote. That wasn't an option. So, you know, for me, that really manifests itself in having to do a lot of flyouts. Right. So, you know, I mean, I've got stories of having to go to Korea, you know, being told that it's it's, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm in New York City and I better grab my flight bag because I'm going to Korea that night, you know, uh, on an 8 a.m. flight. Um, And that's to, you know there's real money in entertainment, right? When you can't do a show, that's tens of thousands of dollars that walk out the door and have to get refunded. So, you know, flying me halfway across the world to go solve some technical problem is, you know, realistic. Um, yeah. and, and particularly for these systems, like we didn't have the capability to scrape a lot of telemetry data. You know, the only logging we could really do was queue started, axis completed, you know, queue completed. And that just doesn't help you solve really nasty technical problems, um, particularly in you know sort of the electrical control system realm. So, you know, I certainly look back, you know, on the work that we were doing then, you know, just seeing this untold amount of opportunity that could have been, you know, harvested or, or, or utilized, you know, if we were talking present day, you know, being able to connect these systems up to things like Azure IoT Hub and so on and so forth.
0: So it sounds like even if if you would have had a motor that would have like through, you know, would have been operating slowly or something like that, if it didn't if it wasn't a catastrophic failure, it sounds like you wouldn't even know about it?
2: Yep, yep, we wouldn't have had any clue like
0: Okay. So so this is sort of analogous to to running software without any kind of logging or, or instrumentation and it's like hey it's working now and then it crashes and then you know we i think we've all been in this situation we're like hey you need to fix this and you're looking and it's like well there's no logs or anything so i don't know what to do um yep. so it sounds like it's really similar to that
2: exactly and then you know as a flyout tech <coughs> excuse me um you know you head to these remote locations where you know god only knows what the power situation is you know uh the I mean, even little things, and I'll give you a great sort of cultural example. Um, you know, we were doing a fair amount of work in uh, Asia, and being very particular about how you ask questions of whether the machinery was at fault or whether an operator was at fault for a queue not happening became really important. And mm-hmm. you get on site, and you don't have the logs to say that, yes, definitively, it was the machine that messed up and wasn't the operator gets yeah. really challenging. So... You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity there in this space, um, you know, for even the simple things like, you know, remote monitoring.
1: So you mentioned that, uh, you know, back when you started and you have gotten some of this initial experience that you're using uh, kind of industrial PLCs. And and to me, I, I have a certain picture in my head working in manufacturing facilities. You know what those are. Um, has the since you said there is so much money in entertainment, have they upgraded to Uh, more modern kind of, you know, IOT class devices that are a little bit more powerful or are they relying still a little bit on PLCs because of their, their build and durability? Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, so you got to think about the operational environment for a lot of this stuff, right? Like people talk about harsh environments in manufacturing, right? Like, you know, combustible areas, fluids, you know, immersion, um, high humidity levels, low humidity levels, um, extreme temperatures. Well, you get all of those things in live entertainment. Plus, you have to pick that 15,000 pound piece of machinery up, load it on a truck, (laughs) transport it 3,000 miles Put it in a shipping container, ship it across the ocean, and then install it in a theater again, and hope that it works. You know, and that you want to talk about extreme environments. You know, that gets really challenging. So yeah, the durability and everything still sort of relies on you know the industrial grade hardware. Um, you know, and and harvesting data off that where it's where it's possible.
0: Yeah, and you were you were talking about some gigantic stage that had a had a, a huge uh, cylinder. Uh, what show was that again? That
2: was Cirque du Soleil's Ka.
0: Okay. Um, And I know you you didn't work on that, right? But you were still sort of uh, in awe of the the scale.
2: Yeah. So I had a couple of friends who were working for one of the companies that did uh, some work on that show. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's just phenomenal. I, I don't know if it's still true, but at the time the show was built, they had constructed the two largest hydraulic cylinders um, ever built on the planet mm-hmm. to raise a i want to say it was like 30 by 40 foot stage it was about eight feet thick that you could effectively walk through on these two giant pistons that raised it up and down the stage could revolve in a circle and even turn vertical into a wall um which is just i i mean unless you go and actually look up footage of this thing you cannot possibly imagine how insanely huge and complicated it was yeah. um but you know that kind of stuff. You know is really common in the entertainment space. I mean, we really try to push the boundaries over and over and over again for you know what's even possible um, and. You know, like I said, I think, you know, just to tie this back to the cloud side of things, you know, there's a great opportunity to pull up, um, you know, through easy connectivity methods, pull up predictive maintenance and, and remote monitoring stuff, um, particularly for these type of event, events. And, and, and let me just segue into another sort of yeah. ridiculous story. Um, so I spent way too long of my life living in Mandalay Bay in Vegas. Um, I was putting in Lion King, which was a Disney production, into the casino, um, working the overnights. So I was starting at 6 p.m. and getting off at 6 a.m., um, which is always interesting to walk through the casino floor at 6 a.m. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Yeah, let's let's not tell any of those stories. Um, this is a kid's show, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we were doing the overnights and the trades we were in during the day. But, you know, we had actually set up a VPN connection from our systems that were, you know, on-prem, the theater, um, running back to our home office. But – Basically, it didn't ever work. And here's why. Take an internet connection and drop a random internet connection and drop it into a casino. Who do you think cares about what information is going across those lines? <laughs> Next, layer in the fact that Disney is also operating it, you know, and they've got their own set of stuff. So, you know, our ability to stay connected was about zero. But there was always Wi-Fi, right? And people were always allowed to browse the Internet. So it would have been a great opportunity to use, like, the HTTP-based SDKs to slip past, you know, firewalls that were constantly changing on us. Because nobody screws with port 80, right? Like, that's just what it is. Um, So it would have been, you know, that would have been a great opportunity for us you know, in the field to sort of leverage, you know, leverage the cloud for, uh, you know, to help with some cost savings and monitoring.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, let's segue into what you're working on these days. Ah, (laughs) so
2: the next project that I'm about ready to kick off um, is an open source project. We're going to be working on the Azure Gateway um, SDK or the Azure IoT Gateway SDK, if I can get my branding correct, um, which we can talk about in a moment, but we're basically doing a drop-in module um, for that uh, sort of piece of infrastructure um, to give support for CoAP, which is a sort of low-power protocol for the IoT. Um, which God, I hate that phrase, but it is okay. what it is. <laughs> okay, so
0: we should we should back way up. So, what is the the IoT <laughs> Gateway SDK? We should probably define that first. Yeah, just so okay. people know where that fits in.
2: Yep, yep. So, uh, you know, Microsoft is offering sort of a complete end-to-end story around IoT, right? And, you know, I'll I'll put my marketing hat on for half a second here and uh, tell me when to take it off. But, (laughs) you know, we want to try and tell a story that's fundamentally from device all the way to presentation, Right and and give you the opportunity to sort of explore on your your own, building you know systems using our different you know infrastructure and you know uh, platform as a service uh, offerings to kind of build the IoT you know solution of your dreams and and. We should probably circle back on that in a moment. But down on the field side, we've got a real connectivity problem. Like I was kind of, you know, relating with my anecdote about um, trying to escape the uh, uh, Mandalay Bay um, IT infrastructure, right? We have this problem where we've got this sort of field array of devices, right? We have all these things that are collecting telemetry data for us, and we need some way to reliably get them to the cloud. And that's where things like our SDKs start to play. start to come into play. Um, we offer uh, um, sort of device level SDKs um, for allowing specific devices to reach the cloud, um, and we also offer what's known as a, a field gateway or the Azure IoT gateway SDK, which allows you to do sort of protocol bridging. So that's where you've got a field of various different types of industrial devices um, that could be speaking all sorts of different protocols. Yeah. Well, like let's let's actually bring
0: the. We can actually tie this, I think, back to broadway so yeah we can we, we can we can sort of creatively adjust it a little bit you know because yeah. um you know we were saying it was plc based but um let's just pretend like we have some instrumentation there um and we have you're obviously going to have all of these different sensors and drives and all the and PLCs, they're going to be all distributed in the in the theater right yeah. um so so the, the 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 device or the field uh gateway sdk right? Is it my, am I, am I getting the labeling, right? Yeah. yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That's, that's going to be kind of your, your aggregation point. Right. And that's where you can do, you know, you call it like protocol translation, but, um, really what it is, is being able to like read from anything and everything. Um, you know, you obviously have to figure out how to connect these things, but that's your, your, your place at which you can, you can do those things. Is that all correct?
2: Yeah, and I think you bring up a really interesting point too, because right now we are very much pitching it as sort of a, a protocol translation. You know, sort of utility, yeah. but I think you're right. There's there is a very interesting and compelling story there around edge compute, um, and I think you know we'll see stuff coming down the future where people start to explore that more deeply. You know, what's possible on the edge, mm-hmm. um, particularly if you've got a device that's sitting there and and for the most part not doing a whole lot. Right, it's just taking information from various different protocols, flattening, shaping the data, and then you know shipping it up to the cloud. I think there's some real cool opportunities that, that can be taken advantage of in that space. Mm-hmm. Aspose offers a powerful set of file
1: management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for espose.words for .NET. A powerful toolkit to work with word documents in your applications. I'm, lo- I'm looking at GitHub on this page here, and I, it, it mentions that there's some, some gateway hardware. So is this gateway kind of you know uh, something that you create you create the software with this SDK, or is this something that you kind of install and, and, and just kind of say, "Here's what I have," and then kind of let the configuration get it to the cloud.
2: Uh, The the short answer is yes to both of those, both of those things. Um, It's always complicated, right? Yes. Um, (laughs) So what you've really got here is, you know, uh, a piece of software that you will install on some device. And we do offer a series of sort of quote-unquote certified devices that we know that that gateway um, software will perform well on. Um, And and you'll see those list of devices, I think, on the GitHub page. Um, But fundamentally, what you're getting really at its core is a piece of software that does really sort of good message brokering and provides sort of this modular, pluggable architecture, right? So you get a message broker, and that message broker can receive information, content, and you can attach properties to that content, you know, sort of metadata, about what that message is. And then the SDK fundamentally allows you to sort of plumb, you know, that information across between different modules. So here's an example. You've got a, a PLC or an IO point that speaks the Modbus protocol, which is a mm-hmm. you know, now mostly TCP-based protocol, um, relatively simple, function-based. You know, you say, I want to read a bunch of registers or I want to read a bunch of holding registers or write some coils, Um, And it goes ahead and scrapes up that data off the remote device for you and presents a byte array. You pull that information out and you flatten it, shape it, you know, add some properties that go with what the specific registers were that you read off, you know, like the name of the register that, you know, maybe maps to, you know, some sensor that's flagging whether or not a door is open. Um, maybe that sensor has a MAC address or something. You could pass it through an identity module to give it some, you know, common name. And then you start passing that, that, that message. Through a series of modules to shape it. So you can do things like batching or data compression if you're in sort of a restricted bandwidth um, space, right? Where you need to really make the use, you know, make use of of a low bandwidth scenario. So batch your messages up, compress those messages, and then burst them up to the cloud when you've got connectivity. Um, And you just keep stacking up those various different modules, sort of implementing your
0: business logic um, and growing a system of compute. Yeah, what always throws me off is that this thing's called an SDK, um, which technically makes sense. Right. But it's almost like it's almost like gateway, it's almost like gateway software framework, IoT framework or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I would come is, up with like right? a worse name, but yeah. So I'm just the only reason I mentioned that is that maybe that helps people understand what this thing is.
2: Yeah. So, you know, you're you're getting a piece of software that also sort of behaves as a piece of infrastructure, too, right? Because it gives you that capacity to do protocol translation. And typically, when we're thinking at the infrastructure level around that, we're thinking physical gateways. So you kind of see where you, you land in this spot that's, you know, halfway between infrastructure and application.
0: Yeah. And then you can plug in modules. To this. So to give you like a super simple example, right, you could have one in here that just removes duplicate values, right?
2: Yep, yep, you okay. can do So that just know, plugs into that like, pipeline. Exactly. Or, you know, here's a great example. I was just talking to a potential customer at the Open IoT Summit last week and uh, they're doing temperature measurements. Um, So they're monitoring refrigerators Mm -hmm. the world over. um, And they have this interesting problem where, for the most part, they only want to send Deltas, right? They don't want to always stream the same piece of information up because it's, I mean, it's just a a waste of of data storage space. But they also have hard compliance and regulatory requirements around making sure that they have logged at end specific time periods. So there you've got this great thing where you want to do deduping. You want to strip out, you know, the non-Delta data but you also need to make sure that every now and again you're recording on specific intervals so that would be a great way to flag a piece of content you know a a reading with this metadata that says hey look this is a fixed recording make sure this all the way gets you know this gets all the way through the system and and don't run it through the dedupe processor so
0: oh very cool very cool yeah and then uh, did you work on any of these modules because I think this there's like this gzip compression one didn't you work on that one
2: I did so um, you know one of the One of the neat things about the gateway, and I think this is going to be a developing story moving forward, is but we've we've got it's open source, it's cross platform, it runs on you know Windows and Linux, a bunch of different builds of of Linux, and it comes with different language bindings. And I I think we're going to start to see this you know sort of being exploited more down the road. Um, But we've got language bindings for Java, we've got language bindings for .NET. Um, and we also have language bindings for, uh, node JavaScript. And, and the module that you were referencing, the open source one that I built, um, does gzip compression for data. So you can pass it sort of a lump of data and have it, you know, run gzip compression on you. And that's all written in node. So one of the neat things about this is that, you know, you can fire up the node language bindings with the gateway, do, you know, do the build of the bindings, and then the build of the gateway with those built bindings, um, and then be able to just tr- basically NPM install your way to a complete, you know, field gateway solution. And I think that's really where we're looking to try and, you know, get help, particularly from the community um, in terms of contributions back to the library and, and uh, you know, or at least, you know, have those things sort of sponsored and and notated as, um, you know, interesting modules to explore sort of on the GitHub page.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that makes the strategy make a lot of sense then, building up this right. community set of modules. Exactly. And then you just get to, you
2: know, sort of pull off the shelf the parts that you care about. And then it becomes about implementing business logic and not trying to do a bunch of infrastructure yourself yeah. over and over and over and over again for each one of these systems. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's a compelling story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one other thing I wanted to sort of talk about, which was a, a, little, a little meta, is, you know, where... Uh, so, so do either of you do home
0: automation? I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not as much as Jason, but yes, I've done some myself. And, and I don't do much. Cause my, I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but my, <clears throat> my whole thing is like, um, I keep, you know, I keep thinking about, uh, um, you know, like in the bathroom, putting, putting in one of those motion sensors, you see in like commercial buildings and I'm like, okay, this is never going to work. I can always think of the case where it doesn't work. Right. So it's like, oh, at night, I don't want to be blinded by these lights walking through here. Um, I don't want this light to stay on too long at night. Um, I don't want to be out of range of the motion sensor and have it not work. So I'm very, um, I'm very pragmatic about the things that I do. So what I actually do, and I've talked about it on the show before, so I won't really go in in depth on it, but um, I try to, I have some code that I've written that does really simple things. Like if the temperature differential between the two floors of my house gets off by more than I think about three degrees, um, I'm not sure what I have it set to right now, uh, it'll turn on the whole house fan to equalize the temperature. Um, I have one that will turn on our whole house fan um, in, in the situations where that makes sense. And that just, again, you know, like these rules, they just run. 24 by seven. I never touch them. I never do anything with them. And then the other one is, uh, it runs, it's in the summer, basically in the morning. Um, at the, at the, at the right minute where it makes sense to close your windows and lock in that cool air and, uh, um, and keep the hot air outside, you know, where that temperature differential starts to, starts to match. And you can see that it's going to keep going up. Um, it will actually send, uh, my wife and I notifications and says, close the windows right now. And then in the evening, it tells us when to open them. So again, they're all pretty, they're pretty, I don't want to say passive, but they're, I don't know, they're sort of foolproof. All these rules are, are sort of foolproof. And that's, that's what I tend to do.
2: Right. And, and I guess, you know, the thing that I've been sort of thinking about is, you know, where, where in IoT are we going to see the biggest bang for the buck? Like, when are we going to move past, you know, just connecting anything and everything to the internet mm-hmm. to, you know, this really sort of meaningful change? Um and, and for me, like I'll I'll think IoT actually means something when we've gotten to the point where optimization and cost control are the primary drivers of IoT innovation. And I don't think we're there yet. And I think we have a long way to go. And and you know, I mean you guys should chime in on this what you think about this too, but um I've been wondering if you know the part that we're missing with the IoT story right now mm-hmm. is the government, right? Like you look back at you know ARP, Arp ARPnet, right? The, mm-hmm. the I think it was Ar- wasn't ARPANET Ar- ARPANET rather, yeah. You know the the pre-internet, you know military internet mm-hmm. and. There was a lot of energy and effort that the government was spending to, to push development in these areas. And I'm wondering if we need that out of, you know, the public works, you know, public sector space in order for IoT to really get a good foothold. That we need some sort of either legislative help to say, you know, we're going to start cutting emissions, we're going to start, you know, improving, you know, cost effectiveness and efficiency of home products before we're really going to see this sort of, you know, the next exponential takeoff of, of wiring stuff up. I, I don't know. i have just kind of throwing that around in my head. Well, trying so, to
0: think. Yeah. You said a lot of things there. So first I of did, all, I did. Hopefully we can not get political. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Really? I'm really hoping. Um, <laughs> so the first thing is like, how do we know when we were successful? I think the answer to that in, in my mind is that we don't, we don't talk about it anymore. It's invisible. Um, I think, I think a lot of people think that that's, that's kind of the end game these things work together for our benefit and we don't really know um, we don't really necessarily understand the workings. Um, And I think we're, I think we get there in some cases, right? So like, I'll give you maybe the best and worst example, which is my Nest thermostat, which I have a love-hate relationship with. <laughs> I, I hate it because I had all these expectations before I got it, and um, I don't know the 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 way that they control the data and some other things. I'm not going to go on that rant, but <clears throat> not not a big fan of of some of the 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 things that they have in their their rules and re- or their their terms of service, I guess. Um, but uh, the part that I want to talk about is the actual technical part, which it it has a motion sensor. It's got, I think, an ambient light sensor. Um, it also has geofencing. Um, it knows the outside weather. It knows the inside temperature. And somehow it keeps me comfortable at home and I don't really know how.
1: <laughs> um, well, yeah, but, but at the same time, it has all of that stuff, but there's a lot of failings. So it knows when you're not there. Because. But I don't even... yeah. No,
0: I no, but, I know. Yeah but, the, 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 but, yeah. but you put your geofence
1: around there and your, your house can't heat or cool back to where it was in the time period it'll take you from when you enter no, that geofence till you get home. I, and, no, and, and, I know there's problems. And, and even <laughs> when you get to a simple schedule... Um, you get the schedule Well, there's always an exception to that. Like for whatever reason, you know, it is that temperature, but whatever the humidity or whatever, it just feels warmer and colder than you want. And it's just not right. Um, yeah. it's to the point where, you know, I can deal with that a little bit more, but my wife, she was getting frustrated. We actually have our Nest thermostat set up as essentially a fancy high tech old school thermostat. It <laughs> doesn't incredible. do anything. There's nothing on the schedule. It's not allowed to change anything. It's um, pretty good at that, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is easy to change. Which is still something that it has a heads up over previous ones, but not quite the cost for that.
0: Yeah. I think so. you're, I think you're like glasses half empty here. Cause I, <laughs> I, I, again, I, I, like I said, I, I do have a love hate relationship with it and I agree. I actually agree with everything you said, but I think the the point is that those, those different sensors that it has, and, and we're only talking about one device, like we haven't even gone out. So like trying to have all my stuff in my house work together, is just like, it's just a complete, you know, fantasy at this point. But it, it, within that single device, having those multiple sensors, theoretically it can use some rules that are totally absent to me. And as long as my tem as long as my house always feels comfortably me, I don't really care. And that's what I mean by transparent. So eventually... You Know if, if somebody's actually still working on the stupid thing, I, I don't know. Um, eventually it will be a little bit smarter, it won't just be is he or is he not in the geofence. It will actually, you I maybe that's like a privacy thing, which is a whole nother issue in IoT, but honestly, like I'm okay with it knowing my exact location, um, or or even just distance, you know, maybe maybe. I, I don't, I guess there's, we have traditional geofencing and then we have GPS, but I guess we we don't have anything we, in between, right? There's no, there's no like multi-ring geofence unless you want to do that manually. So I don't know, feature idea for windows and all these other, and iPhone and all these other operating systems, <laughs> but, but you're right. If it, if it has that <laughs> additional data of saying like, whoa, whoa, Jason's on his way. Cause yeah, we, we left recently and I think I turned the house down to. What turn, I turned down like 50 the one time and it like got down that cold. And then we didn't realize until I think like 10 minutes before we got home. And I'm like, shoot, I got to turn that. So I turn it on real quick and it took, uh, what did it say? I think it, it said it was going to take like three hours to warm up. And my wife was not very happy with me. Um, so you're, you're totally right, Carl, And in, in in that there's like so much more potential. But I think that's kind of what we're getting at. Like you can see that there are a couple sensors in there that work really well. Um, theoretically, they're doing really smart stuff without us even understanding it. They're saving us money. They're working in our best interest. And that that concept of what they can do today, I'm just hoping that you can add more stuff. And then it will be, again, transparent. You don't think about it. But just life just gets better without, without you really even worrying about it.
2: And I guess my you know back to my point is like you know for that to scale to mm-hmm. really really you know sort of human impactful land, yeah, um you know we need some sort of way to drive massive adoption that's seamless to the end consumer, right, and that's where you know help from public utilities and that kind of stuff I think will become important for you know a major uptick in the market um but we'll see we'll see how um how that stuff shapes
0: going forward well I hope you're wrong, <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah, because. I, I don't know. I, that then, then this is like even further out than I was hoping, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think the, the biggest um, impediment we've had in the past has been like um, poor security. Well, okay. That's probably number two. Number two would be poor security. Number one, I think is just people have dabbled in this. They're, they're in Lowe's, they're at home Depot and they have the, the, uh, the, we'll call it IOT ish stuff. The home automation stuff at the end of the aisle, yep. they buy one or two things. Um, it acts stupid every once in a while and they're like, screw that I'm unplugging it. I'm not using it, whatever. Um, And then that's the end of it. <clears throat> if you can make an invisible um, trans, you know, like a transparent solution that, that makes people's lives better. Um, and I think we have a lot of the pieces. Like, I mean, just look at what Carl said with like the, the, the thermostat, knowing that you're coming home, like just start there. Um, And then, and then just having all my stuff, just be smarter about it. If if somebody if if somebody from the future, so future Jason visits me, because I've invented time travel, <laughs> I come back and I see myself and I say, dude, like here's some modules. Like this is they they work, they're secure, they will make your life better. Um, I just need I need, you know, I don't know, five thousand dollars. I'd be like Sure. (laughs) You know, here you go. Like, I don't, I I don't even know if, if, if money is even like the thing stopping people. Like, I think, you know, the, the fact that people are buying thousand dollar smartphones kind of shows that people will pay for the the value. So sure. We have this chicken and egg problem. That's going to take a long time. Um, but I think once we can once we get back the, past this point of like stupid security issues being the number two issue, and then the number one issue being that the stuff just doesn't work. I mean, it just doesn't work. The stuff just yeah. doesn't work right. Mm-hmm. If you can make it work and make it secure, then I think people will go out in droves and buy this stuff. I don't think I don't think anything else has to happen.
2: I don't know. I I, uh, <laughs> I think you're hopeful. I think it's gonna take it's gonna take
0: something big. So so you Carl know. is glass half empty. I'm whole. <laughs> no, and and my point wasn't you?
1: that it's my point wasn't that it's glass half empty, but let's look going back just to the nest scenario. Yeah. The previous thing was a little circle on the wall that you moved. Yeah. That's what it was. To 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 be smart in IoT, I think what what you have to do is you have to provide whatever it is that you're going to do above and beyond, but you have to nail whatever the old thing was. You can't kind of screw up what the old thing was, keeping the heat even or making it feel even, you know, when you're doing all your other cool stuff, it doesn't matter what that is. If your
0: expectation is, Hey, I need to be comfortable. So my question is in 50 years, if you when, when if you walk into a brand new house, is, is there even going to be a thermostat? Well, I hope not. I know. I hope not too. Like not a visible think, one. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with both of you. I mean, just to be hundred percent clear, like I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think that, um, uh, yeah in 50 and i'm just sort of making up 50 years but i i hope that in 50 years i walk into a house and it just it just doesn't exist you know i have i mean i obviously need some way of telling it like you know i'm kind of cold and actually no 50 years from now i should just know that i'm cold <laughs> like <laughs> i mean there's 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 got to be sensors right like it should have enough information it just says, listen jason's cold and oh his, his his wife is you know not she's i was gonna say she's really hot but i'm trying to <laughs> she's 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 uncomfortably warm let's put it that way. <laughs> Cause that's less ambiguous. And, um, and then sort of just figures out the right thing to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. Like I said, I think, you know, broad adoption is going to take, honestly, is going to take regulation. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I don't know, maybe I hope I'm wrong. I hope. Yeah. I'm
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and then, um, I do, and then how much do you work with the, in the, like the commercial space?
2: Um, So we've been working with a fair number of partners, um, you know, here at Microsoft, um, Mm. and I know you have as well, Jason. Um, You know, I'm I'm looking at, you know, sort of the commercial connectivity space. Um, You know, I think it's it's... Expanding in an ins- uh, sort of in an experimentation phase right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is because people don't necessarily know where the value is yet, um, which, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll plug one other sort of, you know, interesting facet I think that Azure has going for it, particularly with the IoT story is that, you know, if you can get data in to Azure, then you can start understanding the data, right? And then once you start understanding the data, you can sort of pick out other services that are, you know, sort of, you know, tangentially related and begin to build more complex systems with sort of off, that off-the-shelf mentality um, rather than trying to roll it all yourself. And I think You know, particularly for um, sort of commercial, you know, uh, be it, you know, buildings and that kind of stuff or industrial, i.e., you know, manufacturing plants, um, you know, water treatment, that kind of stuff. Um, I think we're going to see this like... You know, round of massive amounts of data collection, um, and then somebody's going to come up with a really great way to prune that data so that we're not storing all this old stuff. Um, then we'll start to look at how to learn from it, um, and then once we start learning how to you know learn from the data that we're collecting, um, we'll begin to build systems that can actually optimize for things like cost and efficiency, and yeah. and you know. But I think that's going to be a really long long time. You know, harking back to our previous uh, conversations. So
0: yeah, I think there's I think there's like two. Two races going on right now. And I, I think that's where things get really interesting too, because there's the there's the home automation space, which is a little bit sexier, a little bit more relatable. Then there's the commercial IoT space, which is far more complicated, steals things occasionally from the consumer space, but then also feeds a lot of things to the consumer space because you know the 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 amount of data we're talking about, the number of devices we're talking about is just it's just insane compared to what you'd have in your house. I mean, they're solving a totally different class of problems, but I think it's a lot of the same outcomes. Yeah. You want to have self-optimizing processes. Um, you want to have, um, yeah, I mean, you want the, you want it to, you want the, the factory to learn and you want to be able to get insights. You want to be able to get data to the right people. Um, which is a lot of the same things that you want out of your home, except that maybe you just, in, in that case, maybe you Consumers probably just don't care. Like you just, I just don't want to spend much money. Um, I don't want you to. I mean, you can tell me how much you save me, but you know, Nest does, it sends me the report all the time, and it's like, here's how much you saved, and you know, it's like kind of the same thing I always tell my wife whenever she says she's like, oh, I saved you know, a hundred dollars. It's like, well, here's an account. Can you please deposit that in there? <laughs> <laughs> and the balance is still zero, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, I don't. know. Yeah, I, I think it's just kind of cool having kind of a two. A two sided race there and, and they're both feeding off of each other. That that's one thing that gets me really excited because I focus mostly on commercial, but I, I feel like you have to follow both a little bit to steal ideas and to also, and then to pay back those ideas as well.
2: Yeah. You know, and and there's a lot of you know marketing focus in IoT right now on sort of the end story, right? Because that's that's what's super compelling. But I think when we can finally shift back and start, you know, really digging deep with manufacturers, so people that are making PLCs, people that are making you know hydraulic pistons and that kind of stuff, and really begin to work deep relationships there, um, I think you're going to see a lot of new development and new ideation sort of come into the IoT space about what's possible. Um, You know, as as these companies go well it's it's painless for me to integrate a http rest server you know into this little automation controller just go get the data you want Um, and that starts to open up a whole new avenue of connectivity and possibility so
0: yeah super exciting any other questions you wanted to ask carl uh not right now no okay well, luckily I have access to bill. He's right down the hall. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel pretty lucky because I can just go ask him anything, any, anytime I want, but I think this is pretty cool. And then, uh, Carl will have to include like the, the, the gateway SDK and the show notes on that. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty cool. Um, anything else you wanted to mention bill that you think we should, uh, that we should cover?
2: Yeah, so a couple of things. One, we've, um, at least in developer experience, which is the group I work in um, with Jason, mm-hmm. um, we've been putting together a couple of different repositories of stuff that I think are kind of you know interesting for folks to check out. Um, the first one is, these are both on GitHub. Um, They're both under the Microsoft brand, so github.com slash Microsoft. One is the IoT samples repository, and this is sort of where we are, I don't want to say dumping because it's not dumping, we're actually curating the content that's going in there. Um, But it's it's sort of a repository for our learnings that we've had with our customers. So um, everybody from our evangelists that are out in the field working with small startups you know, to people like yourself, Jason, that are working with you know Fortune 100 companies, mm-hmm. um, this is a place for us to sort of drop some of our knowledge um, and and small bits of code um, to help people kind of get started in various you know situations. And and we're looking at stuff in a very multilingual way. So we've got code in there for Node and C Sharp and for all my functional programmer peeps out there in F Sharp. Um, I'm a I'm a big functional uh, pr- uh, programming proponent, so um, I love me some F Sharp um, and. And so we've got, you know, a nice little sample repository. They'll show you stuff like, you know, how do I register a device with IoT Hub? How do I delete the device from IoT Hub? How do I send simple data? We've got a bunch of little different data generators and simulators um, that you can use with things like the field gateway, um, build scripts for, you know, putting the gateway on a Raspberry Pi with Raspbian, um, and content sort of in that that genre. Um, The other cool project is uh, IoT-Workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we're trying to collect basically some of the community-driven workshops that that Microsoft is putting together. So, you know, these are workshops that people deliver at, um, you know, sort of meetups and, you know, local user groups. Um, it's content that we're putting together in corporate to deliver to our own people um, internal to Microsoft. Um, and it's kind of a great way to look, you know, at, I guess, more complicated iot scenarios that that tend to be more industrial or commercial focused Um, so i've got a great one up there on twins direct methods and routing with iot hub and it sets up a really kind of interesting use case that i think you know people get a lot out of and go you know oh yeah i can absolutely map this situation onto a plant floor and here's the code to get started doing that kind of thing so you know those are the two big things that i want to plug right now um, yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah. That's really great work that you've done, uh, that you've done on those. So that, that's great to see a landing spot for those, for those things. And I've, I've walked through at least one of your labs and they're, they're always very detailed and and well-written. Thank um, you. so yeah, it is a, it is a great, great way to get started. And, uh, Carl's probably there reading it right now because he's. I'm sure he's interested as well with the, with the IoT work he's doing.
1: Yeah, so I, I've looked at a bunch of these links because there's there's actually quite a few, and I've actually clicked on most of these. They're all purple <laughs> in my browser. <laughs> That's awesome. So you already knew Bill through his work. Yeah, in fact, I, I think we'll have to have some offline discussions, Bill. <laughs>
2: <laughs> only only over home uh, brew. So uh, yeah, be out there but, but I can in, supply it. So. I'll be out
0: there in May. So so oh, did, sweet. Yeah, so have you IoT enabled your your homebrew? Uh,
2: I have not. My homebrew is I very authentic. You should be. You should be. <laughs> um, when I don't have to feed children anymore uh, or clothe them, then uh, IoTing my brewing setup will be high on the list. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's something you could do in stages. That is true. That is true. You you can definitely work your way there. Uh, yeah. So.
0: I'm actually pretty shocked.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It seems like one of those things that I would had just done, but yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, it is a lot of work. Sometimes just <laughs> boiling water is easier. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you just, you want to get back to your roots, right? Exactly, you could have said my, my that. German
2: heritage. <laughs>
0: there so, <you> go. <laughs> okay. Uh, Azure pick of the week. Um, so, this was something that you found, Carl, uh, but we decided to make it the Azure pick of the week. So, running and managing lots of web apps on a single Azure App Service. So, this was uh, this was a Hanselman article.
1: Yeah. And um, he he's done a couple of these in the past, but this one just really knocks it out of the park on how to do this in Azure today. Yeah. And, and And my biggest takeaway here that I want to get across to people is you can go here and check out his article. He's got full steps, pictures, the whole nine yards. But what a lot of people fail to realize is a few years ago in Azure, there was a change and you had these app plans and web apps and you needed an app plan to run your web app. and You didn't know why, but you just did it and you kept going. So you needed to do it the next time. You made another app plan, another web app and uh, it, you just kept going. But you can actually keep shoving these multiple web apps, as long as they don't take up a lot of resources um, individually, and you can actually put them in the same app plan. And what you're doing is you're running multiple websites on the same virtual machine. Mm -hmm. And what that allows you to do is then you can pay essentially, you know, it's kind of abstracted from you, but you're paying for that one virtual machine instead of paying one each time. And you can start saving money. And then, if you go through this article, which I highly suggest that you do, you can actually see how you can dig down. If if there is something going wrong, you can get to the you know the process for a very individual website that might be going off and be able to dig in there and figure it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're so all they're,
1: monitored independently, and you can save money. You can run uh, a lot more than you think on a lot less, and uh, you have a lot more uh, power to
0: manage them than what a lot of people think just by glancing at the portal. Yeah. So Scott's running 20 different sites on his, I think I have, I think I have about eight to 10 on mine. Um, And this, this works really well. I mean, you can, you can literally do like the shared plan and do it that way if you want, but I run one dedicated server. And um, one thing we never mentioned on the show, I don't, I don't think was that some of the Azure uh, VM prices went down recently. Um, the a series, I want to say the a one, I wish I had the data in front of me, but I want to say it's like $13 a month for one instance. That's you could actually, cheap. you could actually run two of those and do load balancing. Um, that way if one's updating or whatever, it won't bring your site down. And I mean, heck you could run two more in another region. Um, so what are we at $52 and then you could throw a traffic manager into the mix. You could actually have a geo redundant website. And this is a full dynamic. This isn't like throwing stuff into just like a CDN or something, full dynamic site running through traffic, you know, traffic manager. So it's, it's global uh, and use whatever, whatever one is lower or closer or use um, uh, some kind of failover. But the idea is that you could actually run four of those things for, you know, less than like sixty bucks a month, (laughs) which is pretty insane. And that could be running 10 different websites. Um so the MS Dev Show and my blog, for example, all use the same they're actually running on the same server. And they're just different websites in the same app plan. Um, So you can run a lot of stuff for not a lot of money.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking this would be great for like engineering portals for companies that are looking to you know make their first sort of cloud migration, right? You've got all those dumb utilities that you use that you know Dopey little apps around the enterprise that you just hoist up and run there, and you know get your your feet wet in the cloud, particularly for companies that haven't migrated yet.
0: Yeah, somebody's probably going to take offense to this, but this the, the, I always thought of this as like poor man's Docker. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because you take your site and you just say like, "Yes, I want to run this site on here," and it all runs on the same server. Guess what? Those are containers. And I've had, what I've had arguments with container people that you know I'm just like, I'm "Like, isn't that a container?" They're like, "No, a container is this," and they describe it. I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's what this is." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is poor man's uh, containers. Um, so you could think of it that way if you want. Um, okay, what do we have for the dev tip of the week, Carl? So there is a GitHub
1: uh, link that we're going to have here that you can click on in the show notes. And it is a list of awesome.net. Is really is literally what it's called, and uh, I found this because I was looking for uh, for work. I needed to interface with this obscure database written in 1981, and I found out that there is an open source .NET driver for it for this database um, that was listed on this list. And it's got all sorts of categories. So if you need things for uh, extension libraries or exceptions or HTTP or installation tools or I mean, it just goes on and on. There's just tons of categories where uh, you can just see r- really cool uh, .NET projects that you can use um, in your own projects.
0: I actually think that we've had this on the show before
1: Bob, not right? this no not this one. we oh, may have had a diff- one
0: we, yeah we may have had a different list this is it was an awesome list because I think there's I think there's everybody a- likes to call things awesome Jason <clears throat> well no there's there's actually an awesome list that I think has a list of these awesome sites. <laughs> so we need to find the <laughs> awesome awesome list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I oh, I, I swear we had something like this on the show, though. But so I'm anyway, gonna, it's I'm going to go to our secret awesome. search page and, and look that up real quick. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! The one that you did the styling on? Uh, the one that I didn't do. <laughs> <get. laughs> no comments. Uh, anyway, oh, I got to grab the card. Hang on here. Do you ever listen to the show, Bill? I do. I am a, a <laughs> weekly
1: listener. Oh, wow! Awesome. Okay. You know, we, oh, perfect. awesome you. is used a lot on our site, by the way.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm your viewer. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> okay. Pick a number between one and four inclusive three. Okay. Okay. I don't think we've done this one before. Perfect. Would you rather have to sleep each night with two harmless bats in your bedroom or have five pigeons hanging out in your bathroom at all times?
2: Oh, I definitely want the pigeons. Yeah, um, here, 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 here's why. So uh, my wife and I finally did our honeymoon years after we got married in yeah. uh, northern Spain. And we did an entire photo series on the pigeons of northern Spain. Um, so I, I actually really enjoy city pigeons and taking photographs of them. So I will take the five pigeons in my bathroom at all times over the bats. That's just creepy. Okay.
0: So is bathroompigeons.com taken? <laughs> <laughs> That's where the photo series is. Jason. <laughs> uh, okay. And uh, Carl, I'll do okay number, number two, number two. All I have is a highlighter. So, okay. Number two. Wow. This one is really simple. Would you rather be very clumsy or very forgetful? I would rather okay, be pick clu- a number, Carl. I'd rather be clumsy. <laughs> I already got the forgetful thing down this week. We have bill Barry. <laughs> okay. You're going to be clumsy. Yeah. How, how young is your youngest? <laughs> you know, i would just, just be careful. She's there. pretty clumsy too, though. I mean, wow. Well, I'm just worried about dropping her. You don't want to be cl- clumsy around kids. <sighs> Perfect. Okay. Uh, let's see. So, Bill, where can people find you? Uh,
2: I have the same handle sort of everywhere, which is WilliamberryIII. Um because I am a third, uh, there are two other William Berries ahead of me. Um so WilliamberryIII on Twitter, GitHub, LinkedIn, uh, yeah, wherever wherever's clever. So. And uh, yeah, that's I also blog at williamberry.com or williamberryIII.com.
0: I was just seeing if bathroom pigeon was available on Twitter. There you, you could.
2: You I will could. grab that now and forward it to my own site. <laughs> the,
0: the problem is I don't know if I spelled pigeon right. <laughs> 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 oh, it's one of those words. Like I never have to spell pigeon. So, and it's got some weird IEO thing going on somewhere. So anyway, uh, where can people find you, Carl? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash So Bill, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about your, uh, your cool work in, uh, uh, Broadway and IOT and, uh, homebrew and all the stuff in between.
2: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.